You know, it's one thing um, to take Jeff's place, and I do this every time out. This doesn't hold my Bible. I don't know what that says about my Bible, but the podiums never hold it. They actually fall down. But it's one thing to preach on Sundays here at the Oasis. I mean, there's two, 250 people any given Sunday. But you come in on Tuesdays, and it's like the special forces of the Oasis. The, the, the reality is you are the troopers that come in every single week, and the, the stakes, they get raised um, on Tuesday nights. And a guy like me, you just have to be on your game. For those of you um, that don't know me, many of you do, many of you do, but I see a lot of new faces, which is absolutely awesome. Uh, my wife, Nicole, and I um, greatly miss coming on Tuesday nights. Unfortunately, we're in that season of life. We have uh, a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, and getting them to bed at 8.45, 9 o'clock every Tuesday night um, is really just a cruel joke on their teachers the next day. So we've been, unfortunately, we, we can't come during the school year. Um, but a little bit of my background, um, I'm actually in the construction industry, believe it or not. Um, I just recently received my graduate diploma um, from Phoenix Seminary. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, God help us all at that point. We've got a contractor in the pulpit. Um, I'll try not to have it as colorful um, as, as it often can be in, in my industry. Um, but I, I'll apologize up front. You have to understand, I'm kind of a mutt. Uh, I'm Irish and Italian. So thank you. He understands. There's a man that knows. I get loud. <laughs> I get fiery. It, it's love. Understand that. I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm not here to make anybody run off. But especially when talking about something that I believe my God tells me to talk about. And, and I want everybody to understand that everything that I'm about to say tonight comes from that perspective, the perspective of love. And we're going to talk about that. And those of you that are here tonight, you're, you're actually, Sunday's going to make a lot more sense because we're going to build on tonight on Sunday. And we're going we're gonna to take what we're going to talk about here tonight and we're going to apply it on Sunday. What do we do with it? And, and tonight, what we're going to look at is a topic that many of you may get a little bit fiery with me about. That's okay. That's okay. We're going to talk about judgment. And we're going to talk about our role as Christians. Because you hear a lot out there about, well, you're not supposed to judge. To each his own. I hear people quote portions of scripture. So do me a favor. Think about a time. We've all been there. Think about a time where you have A, been judged, and B, judged. I mean, take a minute. Think about it. We've all been there. The idea that, that we don't judge, you're lying to yourself, you're lying to God, accept it, you do. The question is, where does your frame of reference come from? What do you use as your filter to decide what is righteous and what isn't? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit that indwells within us? And this is the tension that, that isn't new to us. Paul felt the tension. Paul wrote about how he was always, why do I do the things I don't want to do and not do the things that I do? He, he warred with the flesh. And the question becomes, what part do we as the sons and daughters of an all-powerful God have 
in our culture. Because the culture wants to put us in a box. Our culture says to us, look, go ahead. Believe what you want to believe. But don't force it on me. I don't want to hear it. See, we live in a time where we now have a moral plurality. It hasn't always been like this. We've really seen it in the last 40 or 50 years really take hold. And the reality is the church is what is different today. There have always been factions. There has always been Satan isn't new. Before we go any further, we better understand that, that what we're in the middle of is a war. And you can look at culture and you can say, well, that's one thing. No, no, no. It's Satan versus God. No more complicated. No harder than that. We want to make it harder than that. We want to sit here and say, oh, but, but society says this. And says, no, if it's, if it's contrary to this, it's Satan. Plain and simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Now, the challenge is none of us likes to get beat up. None of us likes to get called names. Uh, this wasn't even going to be part of this. But, you know, just today, okay, I, I jump on Drudge Report. I don't know if anybody does that. But I jump on Drudge Report every morning. You know, and, and Zig Ziglar said he reads the newspaper and the Bible every day because he wants to see what both sides have to say. And so I've taken that to heart and I read the Drudge Report and I go on. It's just a, it's a collection of different news sources and articles. And one of the articles today was on Chaz Bono. Anybody ever know who Chaz Bono is? She, she is, she is the daughter of Sonny and Cher. Um, she, the most famous thing that she's done in her life is she is now a, a transsexual. She has actually gone about getting an actual, she's going through uh, hormonal um, injections. She's getting testosterone. She now has a peach fuzz beard. She, she's doing things to, to make herself a man, as she puts it. Her, she was always a man that in the womb, it just got messed up. That's how she said it. And there's, she's on Dancing with the Stars. Okay, And, and I, I guarantee you half the people in this room are watching Dancing with the Stars. And faith-based groups have come out against this. Okay? Now, it's always important to, to think about the manner in which we come about things. There's, there's, it's always important to, to be loving in, in how we say things, although we're going to talk about the world's version of what is loving is very different than what God's version of what is loving really is. We're going to talk about that. But... There, there was an article, and, and in the article, what do, what do you see? You, you see those who question whether Bono would dance with a man or a woman, and they accuse his critics of bigotry. So, I think we're all safe in saying that, that, that this sort of behavior and, and this sort of decision is contrary to this. Okay, I feel like I'm pretty good standing when I say that. Yet... The world's telling me I'm a bigot. I don't like being called a bigot. Anybody like being called a bigot? Anybody? No. But the fact is, we allow it to silence us. And the real tragedy in our culture today, I talked about briefly earlier, it's not people that have changed, it's the church that has changed. The church is now weak and neutered, and it's not what God intended it to be. 
The Spirit hasn't disappeared, folks. Okay? I love you guys. Here's the truth. The Spirit is alive and well. It is. It was, is, and will be. There is a consistency to God. If there's not a consistency to the Spirit, none of this matters. But God does not change. And He lives within each of us. So what has changed? Why is it that this is now acceptable in our culture, yet 40 years ago, it wasn't? And I'm not trying to pick on Chaz at all. Because Chaz needs someone to love her enough to tell her the truth. But what concerns me, as you go through the comments, and and I'm just going to share a couple with you. I mean, one thing, and this is from a, a Christian apparently, one thing is to have a personal opinion, and another is to push faith on to others. Unintended corruption, effective in steering the spirit away from the truth, in the midst of so much cultural expectation, gender roles, and biased Christian interpretation. Unintended oppression is the worst type of oppression. The pressure is tremendous, but our inner light remains because darkness has never been able to overcome it. Those who seek will find Being tolerant is just not enough. We need to learn how to love and respect one another and leave the judging to God who truly knows the stuff that is inside our hearts. And it is that stuff that we must learn to mold into God's likeness, not with division, but with unity. Because not one of us is greater than the other. And it is once said, the first will be last and the last will be first. Because after all, our God is a God that serves justly and needs and the needs of the oppressed. One God filled with love for all. It is us. It is up to us to receive his message. I don't know about you, but if I don't know this, that's a pretty appealing God, isn't it? That's a God that I might think is real. Because it's all about love. And is that a character trait of God? Of course. Of course. And it's a huge part of who He is. But again, there's a misunderstanding of what love really is in our culture. One more comment. How much can this show grow? By doing the right thing. Exercising the true meaning of love. By embracing each other as human beings, just as Christ taught us to do. We are all too close-minded, surrounded by our short days and personal life experiences, and therefore ill-equipped to rightfully judge. That is why Christians are advised to leave the judging to God, who truly knows our hearts, our truth, and to pray for the gift of discernment. Wow! Again, Christian, using the words in this Bible against God. Let that sink in. How is it that we have a church that is more, that is larger than it's ever been, yet less effective? How does that work? I personally, uh, I, I, for those that, that don't know this, I am politically active, although I am starting to remove myself um, from that arena uh, for various reasons. But... Recently, something took place here in our state. There, there is, and I'm not going to bore you, and this is not a political commentary. I just 
want to share with you something that just took place publicly. Um, there is a recall taking place of one of our state senators, a particular group who is a proponent of this state senator, has gone out and they have manufactured another candidate. They are, they, it's legal, <laughs> believe it or not. And they went out and they unethically went out, got enough signatures to get this person on the petition. So now they're going to split the vote between the competition and thus making, and they were very open about this. And, and I, that is a lie. That's a lie. Okay. I'm not going to debate whether or not it's a lie. And, and if you don't believe me, we'll talk afterwards and I can show you. But through this process, I pointed this out publicly, that, that regardless of what side of this argument you're on, if we are a culture that's willing to lie in order to attain the, the end game, we've lost. That's the culture that Satan wants. That is not the culture that God teaches. Never in Scripture does it say the end justifies the means. We serve a God of miracles. We serve a God that can do things that we cannot comprehend, that can do more than we could ever possibly imagine. That's the God that we serve. So we put our human, our human limitations on an all-knowing, all-powerful God. Okay? But it's funny... And here's a little just precursor to what we're going to talk about. We apply one set of standards to one group of people and turn, and when it benefits our worldview, when it benefits our ideology, we use a totally different, we, we change the standards. We don't apply the same litmus test. That's called hypocrisy. Does God say, or does Jesus say anything about hypocrisy throughout the scriptures? Yes. Yes, he does. So again, ultimately, we all judge. Don't, don't buy into this that, oh, we don't judge. We're called not to judge people. We are called to judge people. And you can change the word. Look, the word judgment is used, or judge, some variants of the word judge, excluding judges, <laughs> is used over 170 times in Scripture. Okay. There's all sorts of, of context. There's all sorts. Obviously, I'm not going to touch on all 170 today. All right, tonight, I should say. But understand what our world would be like with a silent church. I'm here to tell you tonight that simply telling someone the truth of Scripture, culture says is judging. I say it's my call. It's your call. Why are we so afraid to embrace it? We side with culture over the creator of the universe. It's amazing. We can't comprehend why there's no power. Why would God honor us? Ask yourself this question. Why would our God honor us when we've abandoned him? Because some human being is going to call me a bigot. When I called out, here's the irony. The, the person who was doing the lying in that political context is a Mormon. Never once did I mention the fact that the person was a Mormon, ever. He mentioned his church. I referenced his church. I simply stated that contradicting one value of God in order to serve a political gain is not appropriate. Guess what happened? Well, 
Sounds to me like you've got a problem with Mormons. What? I never said Mormon. I never talked about Mormon. We're not talking about salvation here. This had nothing to do with the Mormon faith. But guess what? You don't think Satan is using these people to hurt me? Do You don't think I, I drew back and said, I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? Because no one else will. If you don't, who will? Where, where is our culture going? Scripture talk about three types of judgment. We're going to touch briefly on two of them. Open your Bibles, if you could. Revelation 20, 11, 15. Another thing you learn about me, I like to jump all over the Bible. So if you just want to go ahead and, and write the verses down, um, absolutely. I'll give you just a second as I go through the, uh, these things. Um, I got my nifty new tabs. Pretty excited about that. When I couldn't find Job, <laughs> one of my favorite books in the Bible, and you know, there's like 250 people staring at me. I couldn't find Job. I was like, okay, I know it's in here somewhere. And so a dear friend got me tabs. So I now have tabs. I'm pretty excited about the whole thing, in case you couldn't tell. Revelation 20, 11 to 15. What we're going to talk about here is the white throne judgment. We're just going to quickly reference it. The white throne judgment is the ultimate judgment, not of Christians, but of unbelievers. This is it. This is after the thousand-year millennial reign. It's the, 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 we're going to read about bringing the dead back, and it's, it's not for us. For those of us in here who, who are saved, who have committed our lives to Jesus Christ, this is not about us. But what it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So that's the ultimate. Everybody gets there's two choices, right? There's only two choices. There's heaven, there's hell. Again, don't overcomplicate things. Heaven, hell. That's it. No more, no less. This particular judgment is Jesus Christ passing the final judgment, saying, you made it, you didn't. Okay? And don't feel bad for those people because they are there by their own choice. Jesus didn't want them there. God the Father didn't want them there. They're there by their own volition. Everyone will be given their time. So that's the first judgment. The second judgment is what is referred to as the Bema Seat Judgment. Bema, the Greek word, just simply means... Um, Judgment. So, judgment seat judgment. I don't get it either, but they refer it to the beam of seat judgment. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 9 to 10. I hear pages, so I'm going to wait until I don't hear any pages. It's right after 1 Corinthians, so to help everybody out. <laughs> like I love when people go, okay, start at 
Start a Genesis and go right. It's like, oh, okay, that's great. Okay, everybody got it. Chapter 5, nine, verses 9 to 10. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, good and bad. Okay. We're going to look at one more, and then we'll, we'll kind of touch on these briefly. Um, 1 Corinthians three ten to 15 I always like to... I, I, I do like to show various passages that support the same thing. It's something that has always helped me. Um, all right, 10 to 15. By grace, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay a foundation, other any foundation, other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, the day, the day of judgment, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping the flames. Okay. So now we've got the Bema Seat Judgment. Now, we've gone through the first judgment, the Great White Throne Judgment, and we've moved into the judgment of the believers. And all the works you do throughout this life, you're going to get judged on those works. This is not a salvation question. Okay, this is not a salvation question. No emails to Jeff. Okay, this is just simply God saying, okay, you're saved. What did you do with it? Okay, Scripture very clearly says there that you may survive this, and it doesn't mean you're going into the pit, but there's levels of reward in heaven. Levels of reward in heaven. There's, and, and we serve a God that, that honors commitment. There's nothing wrong with that. There, there's nothing that says that, that that's a bad thing, and, and it's very true to God's character. So, the second type of judgment is the judgment of believers. The Bema, B-E-M-A, seat judgment. Okay? And good Lord willing, everyone in this room will be there. All right? So, now that we've covered two types, we're going to go to the third. And there could be more, but really, fundamentally, the, the question is, what is our role in this culture? As Christians, what are we called to do? You hear all sorts of different things. I mean, you heard Christians commenting on, on Chaz Bono, right? Christians saying, no, God's about love. Don't, don't, judge, don't judge Chaz. God's about love. We are a church that is all about the love and the grace of God. And we have compromised the truth. We have turned around and we have said, no, 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 no. God loves you, man. God loves you, sister. And he does. Oh, he sent his son. No greater gift is, is that than someone who lays their life down. His son died for us. That proves his love. He doesn't have to do anything else, okay? 
That's it. He gave His Son, who was brutally tortured. Our Christ did this willingly. Okay? Don't question your God's love. Don't ever question. I know we all go through times and we're like, where are you, God? I don't feel you. Look, fundamentally, don't ever fall away from the reality of the crucifixion. That we have a a Savior that can relate. Not because He had to, but because He chose to. So that there's the love that God shows for us. The challenge becomes, what is our role? I mean, and you need to ask yourself this. You need to say, no, I'm just going to live in my box. Or you need to say, no, when I see sin, I'm going to hate it. Because the Christ that is within me hates it. And therefore, I am moved. Now, how do you react to it? That's the question. As I have gone through my experiences in the political arena, I've had people look at me and they say, don't throw stones. Don't throw stones. And I love it when people... Actually, I had somebody say to me, those who live in glass... You're a man of God. Those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And I was like, dude, that's not even the Bible. I mean, if you're going to quote Scripture, you might as well quote one that's in there. Okay? And is there a reference? Yes. John 8, 1 to 11. And, and for time purposes, I'm just going to go ahead. John 8, 1 to 11. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, in the law... Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question to trap Jesus. That's very important in order to have the basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left and the woman was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, declared Jesus. Go now, leave your life of sin. Thus, the, those don't throw stones, right? Here's the problem. First, they bring a woman by herself at dawn to Jesus. Okay, Levitical law stated that both the adulteress and the adulterer were supposed to be stoned. Not one or the other. So automatically, they were violating one law in order to come and trap Jesus. Okay, so now their argument is already collapsing underneath them. The second was they were there to trap Jesus. That was their heart. God recognizes the heart. Third, they actually will we'll skip to the next one. <laughs> After that, we're going to say Matthew 7, 1 to 5. Do not judge or you will be judged. Right? Everybody loves this one when they like to throw your judgment back in your face. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with that measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your other's eye. Two points here. Number one, you will be held to the standard by which you hold others. Okay? Many people don't like that. Let's be honest. I don't like being held to the same standard that I hold other people to, right? The challenge is I know my sin. I don't like to share it with people. I like to keep it quiet. But the, it, it inhibits me from pointing out other people's sin. Because here's the reality. You may not be sharing your sin, but guess who does know your sin? God. So you're not hiding it from anybody. It's raising the bar of judgment. It's saying, no, 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 judge. But you're going to be held to the same account. Again, he refers to the hypocrisy of it. Look, he says... You can judge, but you can't clearly judge another person who has a speck in their eye when you have a log in your own. What does he say? Remove the log. Again, we're talking about, it's not just about judging other people. What we're really talking about is raising the bar for yourself. We are taking this idea of saying, I need to be better so that I can say something about the world. You see, we can't do it when our divorce rate is 55% as a church. We can't do it when Christians are out there saying homosexuality is acceptable. We can't do it when we eliminate school from our, or I'm sorry, we eliminate prayer from our schools. We have become hypocrites at that point. God will not honor with His power hypocrisy. You see... It's not about judging other people. Raise the bar for yourself. You have the Spirit of God living in you. Embrace it. You are sons and daughters of God. Have you ever thought about that? Sons and daughters of the Creator of the universe. Your brother is Jesus Christ. We, were, we are going to someday rule and reign alongside Jesus Christ. When are we going to start acting like it? When are we going to start holding ourselves to that sort of, to, to the level of, if I need to stand and serve alongside my Christ, I better hold myself to that sort of regard. There's also the belief that we're only called to judge other believers. The parable of, or the story of, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Samaritan woman is not a Jew. Okay? Jesus passed judgment on her. The story, for those of you that don't know it, Samaritan woman comes to the well. Jesus is standing there. He says, woman, where's your husband? She says, I don't have one. He says, that's right, you got five. <laughs> he knew all her sins. And he, and he convicted her. My question is, what would have happened to that woman had Jesus done what we do? What would have happened to that woman if Jesus didn't love her enough to tell her the truth? Satan has made us enablers in our society. Satan is the prince of this world. 
Everyone understands that through Scripture. He is the ruler of this world. Only because God allows him to be. But in, in Luke's recollection of the temptation of Jesus Christ after the 40 days in the desert, Satan says to Christ, This world has been given to me to do with as I choose. Christ does not rebuke him. Christ does not correct him. Christ says, the prince of this world is coming. I have no place in him. Look, there's no America. There's no China. There's no Mexico. There's no Russia. And there's no name a country, continent, person. Red, yellow, blue, green. We're all sons, or we're all creations of of God, the Father. That's who we are. Period. Start to change your filter. Start to understand that with that comes a magnitude of responsibility. That when you say, I'm a Christian, and then you go out and you get drunk with your girlfriends or drunk with your friends, you are shaming the name of God. And if you want God to answer your prayers, you can't have sin separating you. See the connection? Recap, three filters for judgment. First, according to John 8, 1 to 11, the first story we read about the Pharisees trying to trick Jesus, your heart has to be right. Your intent behind the telling of the truth has to be right. You can't be doing it because, because you were upset with your wife, because she didn't make your favorite meal, so you're going to ha-ha her. That can't be it. It has to be done with the right heart. Number two, you must trust in the Lord. That's in Psalm 26, 1-2. The psalmist writes that, that he trusts in the Lord, and the Lord sees in his heart. It relates to number one, that you have to trust God in this. You have to say, God, am I doing this because Brett wants to have a gotcha moment? Or am I doing this because I love that person? Number three, you cannot be a hypocrite. That's the challenge, isn't it? I mean, we don't want to be held to the same standard that we hold others to. I mean, call a spade a spade. Have an honest conversation with yourself because you're not hiding from God. Okay? It's time that we as Christians stood up and said, you know what, God? I don't believe that you can do this. I would rather this world like me than believe that you are an all-powerful God. I don't want them to reject me. It hurts. It does hurt. But we touched on something earlier. The challenge right now that we have is the definition of love. You know, I say to people all the time, I go, look, if I, I have my children, right? And, and all the parents in here will back this up. You don't love anything on this planet the way you love your kids, okay? It, it just, it's not possible to love anything more. And, and coming to the realization that they're not even yours, they're actually God's is a, is a big challenge. But they're God's kids. He gave them to you and he's saying, raise them. Love them. So how many of us let our kids do anything they want to do? You see, 
I tell my kids what's hurting them. I tell them no because I love them. And they hate me for it at times. They're angry with me. My little guy storms up the stairs and, ah! You know, we've all been there and that hurts. When I have to swat him, yes, I have swatted my children. And when I have to do it, it kills me. It hurts me. When, when they look at me and, and they say, I don't like you. Oh, God, come on, man. I'd give you anything. But my job and my call from God is to not get you to like me. It's to love you. When Christ stood before Pilate, and Pilate said, Why, who are you? Why are you here? And he says, I'm here to tell the truth. That's Christ's command. That's what Christ came to do. Why are we not doing it? 1 Corinthians 6, 1-3. Now, he's talking to believers here. Okay? And Paul writes this. But it's so key. Because we have to understand that much of what we're going through here in this life is simply preparation for the next. Okay? We're in training. Everybody get that? That, that this life... You know, 75 years on average, give or take, and then eternity. Okay? 75 years, everything else. Okay? That's what we have. And that's where we are. 1 Corinthians 6, 1-3. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Here's the one I love. You ready? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church. I say this to shame you. <laughs> Nothing wrong. Paul said it. I say this to shame you. Feel bad. We're not supposed to not feel bad. When did that start? I need to feel good all the time. No. I'm, I, I grew up Catholic. <laughs> Talk about guilt. You know, my mom used to say, there's a healthy guilt. The fact that you feel bad is a good thing. It means you have a pulse. It means you have a conscience. It means, hopefully, that the Spirit of God is moving inside of you saying, you're not right with me. You need to feel bad right now. And the only way to fix that is to what? Make it right. Not with the person, although that is usually the result, but with God. It's all about the relationship with God. And then it finishes, but instead... One another takes the other to court, and this in front of unbelievers. So, grasp the magnitude of that passage. Okay, he says clearly, we're going to judge the world. He says that. We're going to judge angels. So, if you're not in training here on earth, if you're not in this life willing to judge the behavior that is in contradiction to this, how much responsibility do you think you're going to have in heaven and in the new heavens and in the new earth? 
We've got a thousand-year millennial reign to look forward to, then eternity after that. You've got to start thinking, whoa, do I want to be happy here and comfortable because you know, no one, everyone likes me if I don't say anything. Everyone likes the guy who doesn't have an opinion. You ever notice that? You know, and they don't stand for anything. Hey, I like him because he doesn't, he doesn't condemn me. Loving is telling the truth. No matter the personal cost. Don't let Satan define love. Stand up and say, I am going to share in love the truth of our scripture. And if we do that, I challenge you, I promise you, if we do that in unison, if Christians start to stand up and they start to do this, God will honor it. We will see a movement, the likes of which we haven't seen in a long, long time. And we're going to talk about that on Sunday. Stand up. Hold yourself to a higher account. Love your neighbor by telling them the truth. I'll end on this. Galatians 4.16. Paul writes, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Nobody said it's going to be easy, folks. Nobody said that the life of the Christian is one that is hunky-dory. Nobody said that you weren't going to hurt. In fact, I believe it said, take up your cross and follow me. We're going to talk about, on Sunday, the manner in which 11 of the 12 apostles were killed. I want to talk about these things because I don't think they'd have hung Peter upside down from a cross if he wasn't offending anybody. Pray with me. Father God, our only heart is to honor you. Our only heart is to bring you the glory. But ultimately, Lord, it is about telling the truth of your word. It is hard to do. You know it's hard to do. You know better than anybody because you watched what telling the truth did to your son. We are called to be your sons and your daughters. We are called to be brothers and sisters of Christ. We are called to be ambassadors of heaven here on earth. Help us, Lord, to have the strength and the unity to do just that so that we can turn this world around and save people who are lost. It is in your son Jesus' name we humbly ask for these things. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Have a great night. See everybody Sunday.